0: May God add a a blessing to the reading of his word this morning and good morning everyone and to those online it is a great pleasure to be able to speak with you this morning on Good Friday and of course that's why we're here. It's a time that you traditionally come to church and you go out and you have fish and chips after. It's a time you know this is this is the right thing to do it's the Christian thing to do except except for me I don't eat fish. I don't eat anything that comes out of the ocean. If you want to talk to me about that later, you can. Uh, but trust me, all the staff at my One Mission, Jennifer, Steve, the boys, um, they all make, they all question whether I should actually be a Newfoundlander or not because I don't eat anything that comes out of the ocean. But we can get into that later. Um, irregardless, um, I do pray that you would... Today would be much more than just tradition for you. I do pray that today would be much more... And just coming to church, doing the right thing, and getting your fish and chips after. But I, I do get it. I do get wanting to do the right thing. Wanting to, you know, mom and dad want me to go to church. They want me to come out. This is just what we always do. This is the right thing to do. This is the Christian thing to do. I have worked other jobs um, where people have come like, yeah, I'm out here to get my fish and chips because Nan wants me to. That's it. They don't know why they're getting fish and chips. (laughs) They haven't been to church at all. They just want to do that thing to make someone happy. But as we grow older, we often start to realize that things aren't about what we want. I didn't want to go to church on Good Friday growing up. I wanted to be home, have another day off school, play some video games, hang out with friends. On a day like today when the sun is shining, I did not want to be here. I didn't want another day to be in church, not even for an hour. But as you grow, you start to realize that Not everything is about what you want. And you also start to appreciate more the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on Good Friday. We can be a bit selfish in seeking our own desires, our own will. And the main focus of this passage this morning is not seeking our own will, but on seeking God's. Even the atheist Richard Dawkins pushes for us to teach about generosity and not just seek our own will. Richard Dawkins says this, let's try to teach generosity and altruism, because we are born selfish. Let us understand what our own selfish genes are up to, because we may then at least have the chance to upset their designs, something that no other species has aspired to do. He has no reason for us to pursue generosity other than the fact of just not to be selfish. And though I think that he's right in the sense that we shouldn't be selfish, I think that his conclusions are wrong. If you believe in evolution, and we've gotten to this point, you know natural selection, and what have you, then it would, logic would say that selfishness has gotten to this point. It's served a purpose. So for Richard Dawkins, there's no reason for him not to be selfish. But if we look at the world, if we look at ourselves, then we can see that usually our selfishness usually hurts others and ourselves. We learn that we can't always have what we want. We can't always do things the way that we want even just this morning um, if you had seen Isaac this morning we walked in he has a cut and a pretty sizable bump under his eye just before we left his door this morning he was running around wild trips over his toys smacks his face off the corner of our entertainment center so it's ten I'm thinking I need to get to church I need to get them wired up in this mic I can't be late I'm preaching if I don't show up it, it's, it's going to be a bit of a different Good Friday service. But I had to put my son before what I wanted to do. It wasn't about me. But our selfishness goes right back to the Garden of Eden. It was there that humanity first established its will and declared that we were Lord of our lives, that we will do things how we want to do, not how our Creator, not how our, our God wants us to do it. What if there's A greater will for us to follow this morning what if there's a God who is truly good and righteous and whose will is perfect and good what if our life should be about following that will his will and not our own not what we want not what we think life should be about not what we think we should be getting out of life see this morning When we look at the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it shows us the importance of seeking God's will and not our own. It shows us that there is strength to face temptation, even that prayer doesn't always come easy. This moment is a very heavy moment, as Pastor Steve referenced earlier. The burden that is on our Savior at this moment is something that we cannot realize. We start the passage this morning with Jesus and his disciples going to the Mount of Olives to pray, which was his custom. This was his usual place to go to pray. And before this, they had just had their Passover meal. Jesus had given them an illustration of bread and wine and his body and blood. He had said that one of them would betray him. Disciples even thought about who was most important. It had been an eventful night. A lot had happened. It had been a long night, and now they're going to go pray. And he went to a place that he regularly went which meant, think about this for a second, that Judas knew where to find him. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, but he instead of going to a place somewhere different, he went to a place where he knew Judas would find him. Jesus was fully committed to this plan. He turns to his disciples, and he tells them to pray so that they won't enter temptation his first concern, his last moments with his disciples are to ask them to pray so that they won't fall into temptation. He knows how hard the following moments are going to be. He knows how heavy this testing is going to be for them, and he does not want them to fall away. He doesn't want them to give in to temptation, and he asks them to pray. see, this is a moment that we should not underestimate. The disciples are about to have everything ripped out from them seemingly. In the moments following this passage, they will lose their teacher. They will lose the one they have claimed as the Messiah. And uh, the last three years will be seen to be ripped out from underneath them, and there's nothing they can do about it. They're about to face some severe testing here. And Jesus says, pray. Pray that you won't enter into temptation. And after his concern for his disciples, he walks away. And now he must deal with what lies before him. Jesus was fully human and fully God. Meaning that this burden that laid before him, he fully felt in his humanity, which is what we're seeing. If we were to think ourselves about the fact that we might have to face beatings, we might have to be whipped and crucified, we would probably start to tremble, like the song we said earlier. We would tremble at the fact that if there was no way for us to escape this, and we knew for a fact that it was coming, most of us would probably try and run away from it. But that wasn't all that Jesus would face in this moment. Yes, he would face physical brutality that make most of us probably blush and turn away. But he would also bear the unimaginable weight of all of our sins. Take a minute and think of your sins, just yours. All the sins you have done up to this moment. Have you lied? Have you cheated, stolen? Have you lusted after someone who's not yours? Have you gossiped? Have you been wrongfully angry, selfish, or prideful? Now think about the sin. Now add up the sins that you probably have forgotten that you've done. Now add on to that the sins that you will do for the rest of your life. How are you feeling right now? Now multiply that by every person in this room. Most of us would probably be ashamed to even look at all, all of our sins if they were displayed for all of us to see. You would shrink back. You wouldn't want people to know what you've thought, what you've said, what you've done behind closed doors. But the weight of just the sin represented in this room enough is to make us fall to our knees. We, can't, we can hardly bear our own sin, let alone the sin of the people in this room and the sin of this world. But this is what Jesus did. This is the burden that he's facing. It's too great an impossible burden by anyone's standards, but yet nothing is impossible with God, which is why Jesus had to be fully God and fully human. Jesus is able to accomplish and has accomplished what we could never do for all time. There is no sin that would would escape him verse 41 says that Jesus knelt down which shows the gravity of the situation. The custom of the time was to stand in prayer, but he goes and he kneels. What lays before him drives him in his knees to his father. As he says his famous prayer, "Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me." Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. He's in desperation not for that cup to be removed, but for his Father's will to be done. Yes, if there is a way, if possible, remove this cup. But ultimately, let your will be done. Jesus is of one will with the Father. This is the plan right from the beginning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-4 to 4 says, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This was always the plan. This was always the plan that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit put into motion. What's more, in John chapter 10, Jesus says that he is the one who lays down his life. He is not being forced into this unwillingly. It says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I, re- I have received my Father. He knows what's to come. And he's in agonizing prayer, struggling for that victory. But knowing that victory is coming, knowing that there is joy that lays before him, as the writer of Hebrews says, doesn't make the battle any less severe. It doesn't make that burden any less harder to bear. God answers Jesus' prayer, not in removing the cup and not in removing the temptation, but in an angel, as Luke records, to strengthen him for what lies ahead and to strengthen him for what? So he can hand himself over to his enemies. That's how he wins the battle. not courageously as Hollywood want you to see. We want our heroes to rush in, to save the day with guns or swords or what have you, but the hero of humanity hands himself over to his enemies to be crushed for our sake and for his glory. His prayer is so intense that he begins to sweat as if it were like drops of blood. Not actual drops of blood, but as if it were like. It's the same as if you cut yourself and the blood just flows freely from that cut. He is sweating so intensely in this prayer. Can you imagine what it must be like? That burden that your body would actually start to sweat that much as you're praying to God. Most of us can probably hardly stay awake at night as we pray. And here is Jesus fervently seeking the Father. And after he's done this, he goes back and we see his concern for his disciples again as he repeats himself and says, Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's a rich passage, but it is also very heavy, the atmosphere of this passage. And there's a couple things I want you to take quickly from this this morning. That prayer gives us strength to face the temptation. Jesus didn't want his disciples to waver. They were to pray so they would have the strength, the deep roots of faith to make it through this testing. And listen, it's not that God can't take something away from you. But how often do we pray that God would give us the strength to endure something? Rather than just take it away. What if it is God's will that you endure what is before you? That he is to strengthen you, just as in this passage, so that you would endure that temptation and not fall away. we even see the Apostle Paul who prayed that God would remove the thing that plagued him, but this was God's reply to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God shows far more of his power and character to us by taking us through temptation than he does by removing it. We learn to lean on him. We learn to trust him. We learn more about his character. And Jesus' statement here about not being led into temptation or falling into it is reminiscent of his last line of the, of the Lord's prayer, and lead us not into temptation. One commentator says this about the Lord's prayer. If we are to be protected from temptation, we must lean on God to protect us. It's about dependence on God. Number two, prayer isn't always easy. It didn't come easy to the disciples. In verse 45, they were found to be asleep. In Jesus' prayer, we see that he is an agonizing prayer. He is sweating from the intensity of his prayer and the burden that is on him. And when God answered his prayer, not in removing the cup, not in taking away temptation, but in strengthening him for what was ahead, Jesus didn't sulk. He didn't doubt. He sought the Father even more. We don't always get the answer to the prayers that we want. It doesn't always go the way that we want to go. But doesn't make prayer any less important. Commentator David E. Garland says, Battles are won or lost on the field of prayer, but even prayer can be a battle. And I get it, we can be busy. It can be hard to take time for prayer. It can be hard to stay awake. Oftentimes, I'm driving, someone pops into my head, and that's when I'll pray for them. It's hard even for me to find that time just dedicated to pray to God but it's so important in his most dire time jesus went to the father in prayer daryl bach a commentator says this his pattern reminds us that prayer is important even in the most frantic times and trust me i've had a frantic morning this morning (laughs) a lot has happened but his prayer is not a matter of merely checking in we need to pray in those frantic times But Jesus' prayer here is full of honesty, emotion, and pain. Real prayer takes work, he says. Real prayer takes work. It's not easy. And lastly, this morning, prayer is not about seeking my will, but seeking God's. That is the pinnacle of this passage. Yes, God cares about our loved ones in the hospital. He cares about the things you're facing, the things you're going through, the decisions you have to make. But the goal of prayer isn't going to God and trying to convince him to do what we want him to, to do for us. Prayer is meant to reorient us to God's will. That we pray that his will, will be done. His will is perfect, not ours. We just screw things up all the time. And if you don't think you do, take a second and look in the mirror. Because we don't get things right But we serve a God who is perfect. We pray that God's will be done. When I was 10, my grandfather took a stroke. And for three years, I prayed for him to be healed. He was paralyzed on the right side of his body. For three years, I prayed for my grandfather. And God finally healed him when he died on my 13th birthday. That is not how I wanted that prayer to be answered. But that was God's will. But there is good that came out of that. He was not healed here in his earthly life. He is with God now. He has no pain, no more paralysis. But in his life here, I have three years of looking up to that man who still sought God even though he was never healed. Who would pull himself up by his good hand in church, lean against the pew in front of him, and raise that good hand in worship. That's the good God brought out of that situation. That was God's good and perfect will that I would have that man to look up to. And God's will for Jesus here, as Isaiah 53 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That was God's will, that Jesus would be crushed, not in some evil, sadistic way, but for ultimate good, for our good. He bore my sin and your sins so that we could be made righteous. Second Corinthians 5 21 says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we made the problem. We sin. God gives us a solution that he does not owe us. But not only that, he allows us to reap the benefits of now being made righteous and holy in his eyes. This is What's happening here? That Jesus would take all this burden so that this could happen. He is seeking the Father's will and he is strengthened for what lies ahead. For the ultimate battle between, you can say good and evil, between the Son of God and the forces of evil. That he would be crushed so that he would ultimately crush evil, he would crush sin, he would crush death utterly so that we could be saved and there would be no doubt about it. Jesus' prayer on Good Friday was for our sake and for his glory. So let's respond in prayer as Christians. How much is prayer a part of our life? When we're frantic, when we're busy, when we feel we just don't have time, but yet if it is so important and we need to be making time for it. No doubt Jesus felt pressed he knew what was about to happen, but he took that time for prayer. Jesus pushed through the greatest burden, so that he, and we can hardly push through being too tired or too busy. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. And if you're here, if you don't know Jesus, then look at this man who bore this burden so that you could know him. Look at this man who suffered, who agonized over what was to come so that you could know God. So that you could be made righteous of no works of your own, but through what He is about to do for you, the ultimate act of love, His sacrifice for us. See, for all of us, His will is far better than ours, even if we don't understand it in the moment. So I ask you this morning on Good Friday that you would seek God in prayer. That you remember it doesn't come easy. It might not even be natural for us to pray. And remember to trust in the will of the Father. That He is good. And that He is working things for good for those who He has called. This is the Savior that we remember this morning. The burden He bare for our sake. If this did not happen, we could not be saved. There would not be hope. There is far more joy and hope that comes from the suffering and the crushing of Jesus for our sake than if he were to be spared. That's the ugliness of sin, but the beauty of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just ask, O oh God, that we would all realize in some aspect, some form, of the price that was paid for us. The burden that you actually bore for us, it was physical, but it was so spiritual as well, that you would defeat sin and death for our sake. That is a burden that we could not bear, but you bore for us willingly. Father, may we be a praying people who know you, who take time for you, even when we feel we just can't, even when we think we just have so much to do, God, may we realize how important it is to talk to you, to lean on you, to trust in you, to read your word. Lord, may we not go throughout the rest of this Easter weekend not thinking about what you have done and what it means for us, what we are remembering and acknowledging this weekend. And may this not be the only time it comes to mind, and God, may we not take our salvation for granted, but may we be even more inspired to go out and to see our city transformed for You, for Your glory, by Your power. Oh God, may Your will be done in St. John's and in Calvary, in Kilbride, in downtown, in Happy Valley, Goose Bay. I ask this in Your name, Jesus.